Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Yeah, Brian didn't get that welcome last week, did he? (laughs) Well, good morning. Um, We're going to get started. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. I just want to shout out to uh, Jeff that was over here. That brother, uh, when Bill... Didn't think he was going to make it here today. I called Jeff at 9 o'clock at night last night. He's never led on a mic, nothing like that ever before, and he didn't flinch. I said, we need a worship leader tomorrow, and, and the brother, he's in. How awesome is that? That's, a, that's someone you want in the trenches with you in battle. What's that? And he did the summit for life. Man, he's just a hero. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I want to begin this morning... By reading the story of a man named Dean Carnazes, um, who got drunk one night on his 30th birthday, and he started running, and he never stopped. Um, like a Forrest Gump type of thing here, right? Um, and uh, he has since become one of the most well-known ultra runners of all time. Um, it's really a fascinating story that begins with him waking up on his 30th birthday and just coming into a crisis moment. He had been a very successful businessman in the Bay Area, and he woke up, realized he was turning 30, and he was dead inside and empty inside. So he went out, he got drunk, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Is that okay? All right. We're going somewhere with this, I promise you. All right. So when I reached my house a few blocks from the bar... I saw that Julie had, had left a porch light on. Our Victorian looked warm and inviting and safe. I began walking up the stairs like I had done a thousand times before, but I only made it up a few steps. There was something transforming about tonight. A switch had been flipped inside of me. I wasn't going to check my messages and then slip into the comfort of my warm bed. There was a determination to make tomorrow morning different. I wouldn't be showing up at the office as usual, only to exchange gripes with my colleagues about how our jobs had taken over and our lives, taken over our lives, and there was no time left for anything else. I'd no longer stand for it. This was my life, and I was going to live it on my terms. Over the years, I'd softened. I'd lost my edge. But that was all about to change tonight. I went to the garage and cautiously made my way through the darkness back to the porch where I kept an old pair of sneakers that I used for yard work. I deliberated for a moment about what else to wear, and after some thought, I undid my belt and pulled off my pants. I had a pair of loose-fitting jockey briefs, which would be comfortable enough. I took off my sweater but left my my undershirt on. The socks were a problem. They they were black silk knee highs, and so I folded them down around my ankles and and put on my sneakers. In my pants, I found a $20 bill. It had started out the evening as a $100 bill, but the bar had consumed the balance. Folding it up neatly, stuffing stuffing it into my shoe, I took a swig of water from the hose and made my way back to to the street. As I started jogging south, I turned to take one last look at my house. Inside was my beautiful wife, peacefully asleep, so I blew her a kiss and strode out of sight. It was tough going. I hadn't run any real distance in 15 years, but I kept at it. 
that night, I just knew that I had to keep at it. And the next few pages kind of just details his run. And we're going to pick up on page 63 here. The sun came up when I was reaching the town of Half Moon Bay. I had run for seven hours straight through the night and covered 30 miles. I'd, yeah, I'd long since passed through delirium and was now in a semi-catatonic state. Even Events seemed to unfold in front of me as though I were watching a motion picture. In other words, I needed coffee badly. Michael, you, you, can, you can relate to that, right? We need, ba- we, need, we need our coffee. I found a payphone and I placed a collect call to home, waking Julie. Where are you, she said. It's a long story. The short version is that I'm out in front of a 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven on Geary Street? No, 7-Eleven on Half Moon Bay. I said hoarsely, can you come and get me? Half Moon Bay, how did you get down there? I ran. You what? You ran from where? From the house. I got here about five minutes ago. You mean you ran all night, she said in shock. My God, are you okay? I think so. I've lost control of my leg muscles, and my feet are swollen, stuck in my shoes. I'm standing here in my underwear. (laughs) But other than that, I'm doing pretty well. Actually, I feel strangely alive. When Julie found me, she was stunned and delighted. She wanted to know all about my adventure, and I was eager to tell her the story, except that I passed out in, in about a minute into the drive home. The last thing that I remember, I was sitting with a string of drool dangling off my yapping chin as Julie gazed over at me in bewilderment. And that's how I became a runner once again. In the course of a single night, I had been transformed from a drunken, from a drunken yuppie fool into a reborn athlete. So Dean went on um, to become one of the well, most well-known runners, ultra runners in the history of this sport. And the dude has accomplished some unbelievable feats. Um, he, he ran 350 miles over three days, no sleep, eating pizza on the run. Um, he did 50 marathons consecutively over 50 days in 50 different states. Um, he has won several prestigious ultra marathon races. Um, and so enough about Dean. This morning, I want to exhort the church to get drunk and run a race. Okay? You heard it from the pulpit. Get drunk and run a race. And Pastor Steve is not, he's not here today, so we're going to have a little fun. Is that okay? (laughs) He is watching. I'll I'll probably get in trouble here later, but okay. The drunkenness that I'm talking about, though, is a drunkenness in the Holy Ghost. And the race that I'm talking about has a far greater reward than some chintzy little medal or, or some book that you could write and have bragging rights about. We're talking eternal rewards here. The title of my message, as you can see, is The Spirit-Filled Life. Let's get drunk and run a race. Turn with me, if you would, to to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. And as you're turning there, um, I want to ponder a question this morning. I want each of us to ponder this. Do I regularly seek the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost in my life? Do I regularly seek the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost in my life? We're going to do a little exercise. It's Aspen. We we exercise around here, right? 
Okay, so let's close our eyes. And I truly want you to think about your day from the moment that you wake up to the time that you go to bed. Our lives are filled with all kinds of activities and work, church, family life. And I want you to think about how often are you seeking the presence of God? How often are you calling out to him because you're desperate for him to make decisions, to lead, to serve, or are you doing it in your own strength? Right, you guys can open your eyes. We're done, we're, done, we're done with our exercise for the day. That was easy, right? But we've all heard the terms f- filled with the spirit, right? A spirit-filled church, spirit-filled people. Um, and with those phrases and terms, there comes a lot of ideas and, and images of what that might mean, right? If you ha- come from a more Pentecostal, charismatic background, you're, you may be thinking about p- people falling over and shaking and quaking, right? Speaking in tongues, prophesying, the gift of healing. If you came from a more conservative upbringing, maybe you're thinking more of the fruits of the spirit, um, gentleness, patience, self-control, and the like. And all of those are cool. All of those, I believe, are evidences of of being filled with the Spirit. Um, But this morning, I want to look at at what Paul says to to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5. But before we get there, I want to read a quote from one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill. He says that we try to prove that we're filled with the Spirit by our different gifts. And I'm not going to argue with you about that. He said there is one qualification that proves that we're filled with the Holy Ghost. And that is that we live a holy life. Amen. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to stand before your people and bring your message, to bring your word. And God, you know that it's not something I seek. It's not something that I feel gifted at or particularly enjoy. But God, if you ask me to, I'll do it. But God, I, I stand before you And I need an infilling of your spirit. I cannot do it on my own. And I don't want to do it on my own, God. I need you to come and breathe life on these words. Breathe life on this message. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So why does Paul tell us here to not get drunk with wine? It seems a little bit random here, right? And sandwiched in, in between these verses. But what he's doing here is, is it's in the context of him describing the spirit-filled life. Because what happens when, when you're drunk? We all, we all know what happens when you're drunk. Something else takes control of you, right? Has anyone in here ever experienced that? Or just me? Something else takes control of you. And Paul is exhorting the church here, be controlled by the spirit. Do not be drunk with wine. Do not give yourself to wine, to, in, to be intoxicated and controlled by wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. He's saying, 
look, you can, you can be drunk with wine or you can be drunk in the spirit. You can be controlled by wine or you can be controlled by the spirit. And as a side note, I, I want to say that, that wine is not the only thing that we can be controlled by. Amen? I think that we can very appropriately exchange without being sacrilegious or, or taking or adding to the word of God, but we could insert anything in that, in that line, wine. What about selfish ambition? Do not be drunk with selfish ambition, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with consumerism or materialism, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a big one for me. Do not be drunk with sports. I love sports. They can be all consuming. They can be consuming. They can control me. About work. Do not be drunk with your work, but be filled with the spirit. The love of money. We could go on and on. Insert whatever, whatever it is in your life. Do not be drunk with anything, but be filled with the spirit. I want to share a story from my life. It's a vulnerable moment. Can we do that today? Okay, come on. Uh, uh, so this is a story that I'm not particularly proud of. Um, it's, it's one that the only reason I, I have to be proud about it is the fact that God uses it. And it's a testimony of, of his redemptive work in my life. Um, but as, as many of you know, I was, bo- I was born again. I was, I was saved on June 7th of 1996. And up until that point, I was, I was controlled by a lot of different things, um, whether it be alcohol, drugs, um, partying, you name it. Like, I was controlled by it. But the one thing that controlled me the most was there was this anger in me. The Bible calls it a brawler. And, and that's, that's what I had. I was, I was a brawler. And um, when he reached down on June 7th, 1996, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and he, he rescued me. He delivered me. He saved me. He, he took this heart of stone. I had a heart of stone that could not empathize with other people. I had a heart of stone that was so selfish and full of pride. And in an instant, he put in a heart of flesh that could empathize with other people, that could love other people, that could think of others more highly than I think of myself. I'm telling you, it was an instant. But more than anything, that heart of flesh gave me a heart for God. It wasn't long after that night, um, I went into a Christian discipleship program and completed that and then went on to Bible college for, for several years. And it was, in, it was there in, in the midst of this, this Bible college that I was surrounded by thousands of people who were hungry for God. I mean, every single night we were seeking God with all of our hearts. By day, we were in the scripture studying the word. By night, we'd often pray through the night. Um, we would go out into the streets. We would evangelize. We, we would see souls saved. And so I'm in this environment. This is the first few years. This is my introduction into Christianity. That's a good introduction. That's the way it's supposed to be. When I left this bubble, I graduated Bible college, and um, I assumed, actually, I expected that God was going to send me to the nations. And I've shared this with some of you before. um, But I expected that God was going to send me to the, the farthest jungle I'm from America. America, they'd already heard about Jesus. I wanted to go somewhere that nobody ever heard. 
And um, I expected that, that I was going to shake nations for the glory of God, that, that people that had never heard his name were going to fall down and, and, and worship him. I graduated college. That did not happen. That was obviously not a part of his plan for my life. Um, but what happened is I, I started to live what looked like a more, more of a normal life, right? I got, I got a job and a, a good career. Um, got married to my beautiful wife. Um, and, you know, things from the outside looked awesome. I had a beautiful wife. had a six-figure uh, job right out of the gate, 21, 22 years old. And um, the problem was I, I was dealing with disappointment and disillusionment because my life it wasn't turning out the way that I expected. And so in this disappointment and disillusionment, um, I kind of put my faith on cruise control and just kind of settle in, allowed compromise into my life. And um, one night after work, long day of work, a coworker and, my, and myself went to a bar and um, had too much to drink. And my coworker ended up getting kicked out of the bar, not pointing fingers. I was there too, but he got kicked out of the bar. I was with him. They asked me to leave also. And um, as we're leaving, we should have just went back to our hotel. But actually what we should have done has been filled with the spirit. But we, we leave, and, and instead of just leaving, we kick up a little dust. And uh, to the point where the, they send the bouncer our direction. And as we go out to the parking lot, pride starts to rise up in me. And um, I remember looking at my coworker, and I said, watch this. And when, when the bouncer got to me, I took a few pokes at him, and it was over in, in, a, in a few seconds. And as I'm waiting there for the cops, I um, didn't think there was going to be much consequence. It was just a man fight. Happens all the time, right? Well, when they got there, I found myself in handcuffs and get put in the back of the police car. And um, still thinking, I'll get charged with assault or pay a fine, whatever. My wife, my new bride, will not even have to know. And as I'm sitting in jail that night, um, the, gu the guard comes by and he says, Hey, just so you know, your, your charge just went from assault to a Class C felony assault because of his injuries. And I, I remember asking him, I was like, so my wife is going to have to find out about this? And uh, he said, yeah, it escalated very quickly. And so again, we're just married. And by the way, we're celebrating 20 years in a couple months. Praise God. Um, but we're newlyweds at this, at this time, just starting out in my career. And this is, this is the start of our life together. And so we go, I mean, we had countless nights of, of crying ourselves to sleep, just scared because this, this particular charge was a 10 year sentence. Um, and so we're, we're crying ourselves to sleep many, many nights scared. I'm crying out to God saying, God, I need you to rescue me again. And, um, after about a year of just angst, I was able to plead to a lesser charge and, um, so very serious, still on my permanent record, but I did not have to spend a day in jail. Thank you, Lord. Um, 
But my lawyer said, hey, you're not out of the weeds yet. Um, that he has a certain amount of time to sue you civilly. So I said, okay. And uh, that started the angst all over again. And for months, we just waited for the papers to come. And eventually they did. And we had a lawsuit slapped on us. I had a lawsuit slapped on me for $400,000. And I said, oh, God, again, we're just starting out in life together. Um, I don't want my marriage to start like this. I don't want my life to start like this. And for a few months, many lawyer bills and, and court proceedings later, we settled out of court um, for a significant amount of money, um, but we paid it off and we were able to, to go on with our life. I share that story as, as an extreme example of what my life looks like when I put it on cruise control. Your, 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 your life might not look exactly like mine, but I promise you, you've got something. It's an extreme example of what it looks like when I'm not seeking the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. When I put my faith on cruise control. You see, I cannot ride on my, my, on my salvation experience, as awesome as that was, as real as that was. I cannot ride on, on my history with God or any past experiences, even from yesterday, as beautiful and as amazing as they are. The time in Bible college, the, the 21-day fast, the 40-day fast, the things that we saw, the things that we experienced, I cannot afford to ride on those moments. I have got to seek God today. Amen? And so do you. So do we, church. Because I promise you, there, there's not a person in my life when I was in Bible college that would have said, that, that dude's going to end up in a fight. There's not a person, including myself. After all that God had done in my life, after all that he had delivered me from, everything that I had seen, everything that I had learned in his word, No one is immune to falling back into their flesh. No one in this room, nobody in the body of Christ is immune to falling back into our flesh. Paul says um, in Corinthians, if anyone thinks he stands firm, take heed lest he fall. Y'all ready for some good news? Here's the good news is we don't ever have to go back. We don't have to go back to our fleshly ways. We don't have to go back to the way that we were, to our old nature. Because when you are filled with the spirit, when you're seeking the spirit of God, every moment of every day, when you're inviting him in to your life to help you make decisions, to lead your life, you're controlled by the spirit. You're controlled by the spirit. So I want to fast forward from that moment 20 years ago to last year. Um, we're at a lacrosse game. Gavin asked if I was going to bring him in, in the message at all. Here you are, brother. He didn't want this. But um, we're at a lacrosse game, and the coach had asked me to um, run the penalty box. So I'm running the penalty box, and I'm not paying attention like I should. My responsibility was to keep time of when, when there was a penalty, I would release the, the, the athlete. And um, so the opposing team, who I'm not going to name, but we do not like them in Aspen. They're, okay? They may be on high, high, Interstate 70, another ski town, big rivals, but we're not going to mention any names, right? 
So I'm standing there on the sidelines. Someone from that team gets a penalty. And so he, the kid's in the, in the box, and um, I, I heard him, one-minute penalty. Well, it turns out it was a 30-second penalty. That's a big deal. It wasn't Pee Wee League. It was a varsity game, right? So that, mean, that means something. And um, so the coach comes up to me from the other team, and he says, hey, um, how much time has he got left in the box? And I told him. He, the dude comes unglued on me. He's like, how can he be still in there? It was only a 30-second penalty. And I was like, oh, I thought it was a one-minute penalty. I'm sorry. And he comes over, gets in my face, and he's screaming at me like, He's abusing me verbally, like it was bad. And um, cussing at me, like spitting, like slobbering, just going nuts on me. And I'm standing there just like, okay, what do I do here? You guys know what I wanted to do at this point, right? (laughs) Um, But I'm looking over at their team. I'm looking over at my my son's team, Aspen, and I'm just getting humiliated the more this goes on. I'm just getting embarrassed and most men, when they get embarrassed, don't, don't, don't act right. And um, then I realized that there's like a stand full of people watching this all go down. So I'm standing there taking it. I'm just like, I'm sorry, please don't talk to me like that. I'm sorry, please don't talk to me like that. Um, and I was able to just, I, I cannot tell you, church, how grateful I am that I was walking in the spirit of God. It would have been front page of Aspen Times, and it would have been an embarrassment, and it would have been a black eye to the body of Christ. But again, thank God we don't have to respond the way that we used to. Thank God that we can live and walk in the spirit of God. Amen? So I thank you, Lord, for, for that moment, because he turned it from an embarrassing, humiliating moment for me to a testimony. And that's what he does. He will take those moments in our life that that could turn out really bad, or maybe they do turn out really bad, and he makes something beautiful. It's what he does. And so I'm walking, the game's over, and I'm walking into the stands, and parent after parent, man, how did you take that? I can't believe you just stood there and let him talk to you and scream at you like that. And I'm telling you, I couldn't in my own strength. I couldn't in my own nature. But praise God for the Holy Spirit. So Paul, um, here in, in... Uh, Verse 18, he uses a a present tense imperative verb. It could be more accurately translated when he says, be filled with the spirit. Pastor Steve, our Greek scholar, he's not here. So if I'm wrong, brother, you're just gonna have to correct me later. But uh, it could be more accurately translated, be continually being filled with the spirit. So this implies something that that, um, it's, it's supposed to be repeatedly happening in the life of a Christian. It's a command, actually, in the Greek. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit, be continually being filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. You say, didn't I receive the Holy Spirit at salvation? Yeah. If you're a true believer, if you're truly in the faith, you received the Holy Spirit at salvation. But Paul tells us we leak. Obviously, we leak. And I want you to hear me out. I'm not talking that, like, we're in the kingdom one day. Well, you screwed up. Well, you're out of the kingdom now. That's not what I'm talking. Salvation is secure when we are pursuing the Lord. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him also you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You were promised. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it to the praise of his glory. 
So we don't have to live in this insecure state of like, oh God, I messed up. Like, am I still saved? I'm not talking about coming back and getting saved every, every, every time you, you mess up or, or, or fall or whatever. I'm talking about, God, fill me afresh today. I need you. Fill me to overflowing. I feel empty. I feel dry. Fill me. Um, so just to be clear, we're not talking salvation here. I'm talking about the abundant Christian life. I'm talking about the spirit-filled Holy Ghost life. I want it. How about you guys? Anybody else want that? So back to, back to this passage here, verse 19. We're going to look at some of uh, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. The first thing that we see is um, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So one of the, one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit is that there's a vib- vibrant, spontaneous Worship that erupts from our innermost being, right? You're going throughout your day and you have a song in your heart. You have praise coming from your lips throughout the day. You're just worshiping him. You're worshiping him spontaneously, vibrantly. You know, we've been so conditioned to come to to a building on a Sunday morning and stare up at the screen and, and wait for it to tell us what to do next. Anybody feel that? We've been conditioned to do that. But what would it look like if we all individually sought the Holy Spirit, like, in, like intentionally, like, Holy Ghost, fill me up. And then we gather together and we all have this spontaneous, vibrant worship just bubbling out from within I'm telling you, I've been in services. I've been, I got a taste of it this morning there at the end. But I've been in services where the, where the presence of God was so tangible, you could almost reach out and touch it. Yeah. You could almost reach out and touch it. It's palpable. That, that doesn't just happen. It's because there's a hungry people who are seeking the Holy Spirit, who are seeking God. And when we come together as a body and it just erupts from us and there's spontaneous worship, there's spontaneous songs. We don't have to have a screen tell us what verse to sing. We don't have to have it put up and projected to tell us how to worship. It comes from a heart. The next thing that we see in, in verse 20 is an evidence of, of, of filling of the spirit is giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. It's a thankful heart toward God. When we're filled with the spirit, we have this thankful heart toward God. We give thanks in all circumstances. I'm not talking about Stub your toe and like, bless God, like, this is the greatest. Like, no. But we're able to, to filter everything that gets thrown in our direction out of a grateful heart. When we're filled with the Spirit, we see things differently. We see things def- differently. Trials, tribulations, tough times, painful times. We, we don't, we don't, we're not excited about them but we can be grateful because it's all being filtered through this grateful heart. When we're filled with the spirit, we can see things more clearly as God sees them. We have a grateful heart. Um, We're not easily rattled or shaken. We're not easily rattled or shaken. 
We need to be steadfast. The next thing that we see in, in verse 21, how am I doing on my slides? All right. Okay. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission to one another in the body of Christ. When we're filled with the spirit, um, there's this thing called humility and considering others above ourselves, loving and serving and submitting to one another in the body of Christ. And I know it's just not me, but this does not come naturally, right? Serving and submitting to people. It's not a natural thing for, for any of us. Um, in fact, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Don't judge me. But I'm not doing the dishes if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not doing it. You can ask my wife. She's right there if you, if you don't believe me. Um, in fact, if I, I can walk through and, and, and see the sink full of dishes or any other need, see someone that needs served or some, some submission, um, that's a good indicator that there's something wrong in my heart if I'm not willing to do it. It's a good in- indicator that I need a fresh touch from God. It's a good indicator that I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to serve and submit to others in the body of Christ. Um, this next one, and um, we're going to move to Acts chapter 4 for this one. And we're going to read a, a large portion of stri- scripture. Is that okay? This is Peter and John before the council. And um, they had just healed a paralytic a little bit before this. And so we catch up in, in verse one here. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I I mean, I wasn't preaching the gospel, but I can relate to that. Okay. It was already evening. They spent the night in jail. But many of those who had heard the word believed and, number, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And they were set apart, and they had set them apart, excuse me, and they had set them in the midst. They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter what is it? Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. That's pretty bold, isn't it? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were bold. Why? Because they were filled with the Spirit. 
And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them in. They were going to negotiate with them. Okay, we're going to let you go, but you can't, say, you can't talk about Jesus no more. Um, and Peter and, jo- Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I'm hoping that doesn't mean that, like he was an old man because I'm, I'm there. Um, when they were released, they, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now Lord, look upon their threats And grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and did what? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, uh, Peter and John, they were not depending on um, their education. They weren't depending on their own strengths, their own abilities. They weren't depending on their charisma to, to, to weasel their way out. They depended on the Holy Spirit of God. They cried out to God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can continue speaking your word boldly and confidently. And Lord, that you would go forth and you would do signs and wonders and miracles. We cannot do that in our own strength, people. We need the Holy Spirit of God. The next thing um, that we see as an evidence of, of being filled with the Spirit is that we finish well. We start out talking about getting drunk and running a race, right? We want to finish well. We don't want to peter out. We don't want to fizzle out. We don't want, we don't want to chuck it somewhere along the way. We want to be filled with the spirit so that we, that we run our race and we finish well. I've heard it said um, that all of my heroes in the faith are dead because I want to know that they finished well. I get that. I get that. Because all too often we hear uh, of men and women of God who are falling away from the faith. 
All too often we hear of men and women of God, even ministers, who once burned for the name of Jesus, who were seeking him with all of their heart. And somewhere along the way, they they chuck their faith or they deconstruct. We got to ask the question, how does that happen? How does that happen if someone walks with God for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden they're, they're deconstructing their faith? How does that happen? I think it's pretty simple. Remember I told you I put my faith on cruise control? And I believe that that's, what, that that's how it happens. We put our faith in cruise control. And we stop depending on the presence of God. We stop depending on the spirit of God. We want to finish well, church. We want to run the race. And we want to finish well. Acts chapter 7, um, verse 54 through 60, says this. It's, it's the um, story of Stephen. Um, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was set apart as, as, um, in the book of Acts, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's standing there surrounded by an angry mob. Put yourself in his position. What are you going to do? It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he looked up and, and he preaches the gospel from front to back. And it is amazing. He preaches the gospel in power. And you know what happened? They stoned him. They killed him. And his life on earth ended that day. As a young man, he died. He was a martyr in the faith. But guess what? He finished the race. And he finished well. Second Timothy four, six and eight, Paul says this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul's saying here in in this passage, look, we're in a fight, guys. We're in a battle. We're in the middle of a race. And it is the one who perseveres to the end that finishes well. It is the one who who perseveres to the end that can stand before God unashamed. And I don't know about you, but I long to hear the words of my master. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And I'm telling you right now, before you all, I cannot do that if I'm not seeking him on a daily basis. If I'm not seeking to be filled with his spirit daily, moment by moment. I can't, I'm not going to finish well, guys. And neither are you. Don't kid yourself. So we have this example from Stephen and and Paul in the early church. They were so dependent on the spirit of God. Should we be any different? They were dependent on the spirit of God to do anything, to say anything. They depended on the spirit of God. And they gave us an example if we want to run this race and finish well. Worship team, could you join me up here one last um, song or 10, I don't care. Um, so you say, Trinity, that sounds great. I want to finish well. 
I want to be filled with the Spirit. How do I do that? It's not, it's not this abstract thing, I promise you. How do we get filled with the Spirit? Number one, we repent of our sin if we need to. Listen, if there is sin in our lives, if there's sin in your life, if you're being controlled by something that is not the Spirit of God, it's time to repent. Today is the day of repentance. It's time to repent. But not just repent, not just like abstain from that sin or or just white knuckle this thing. Repent and turn to the throne of grace. Turn to Jesus. And I want to invite you, if you have done that, or you're going to do that today, we're having baptisms. Maybe said it earlier. We're having baptisms on December 17th, next Sunday. That's a time for you to say, I pledge my life to you, King Jesus. You are on the throne, and I'm following after you. So December 17th, if you've repented and you've turned to Jesus, it's time to get baptized. If you have not been baptized and you're serious about this thing, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Number two, we recognize our need and we desire him to fill us up. Listen, if we are content to live our lives and just navigate this thing called life on our own, making our own decisions, choosing where we're going to live, who we're going to marry, what we're going to do, like he'll allow it. If we're content to do that, he will allow it. And that's what we'll get. But if we will recognize our desperate need for the living God, he will meet us. I promise you, church, he will meet you if you will recognize your need and desire him to fill you up. You, can go, you guys can go ahead and, and, and begin playing here. I want, I want you to hear the, the words of the psalmist in 60, Psalm 63, verse 1. David says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Is that you today? Are you desperate for God? I'm not asking if you've met him before. I'm not asking if you've had an experience with him before. I'm asking if, are you desperate for God? Do you want him? Do you desire him to fill you afresh this morning? And if you are, number three, baby, ask him. Ask him. The beautiful thing about God and and, and his people, the way that he loves us, we don't have to twist his arm to do anything. We don't have to like try to manipulate God to come down and meet with us. I'm telling you, if you will repent from your sin, if you will turn from your wicked ways, if you ask him to come and fill you up, he will do it. He will do it. I'm a testimony of that. He says this, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the heart of our God. That's the heart of our Father. 
So I want to invite you, church, go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to invite you right now that, that if you're in any of these categories that I got up on the screen right now, if there's sin in your life that you need to get out, today's the day. Right now is the time. If you're saying, okay, I, I've repented, I've turned to Jesus, I'm asking with me, I'm asking for a fresh touch from God. We've all heard the term desperate people do desperate things, right? What if, what if some of us just came out of our seats today at Crossroads? We came down to this altar and we said, God, what I'm doing is not working. I need you. Come and fill me up. What if we did that today? What would that look like at Crossroads? What would that look like here in Aspen? I want to invite you. These altars are open. These altars are open. If you need to get right with God, if you need a fresh touch from God, they're open. You can get on your face right where you're at. You can come up here and do it. But today is the day. Do something radical and seek the face of God. Father, I thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for this message. Thank you, God, for speaking your word. Lord, we here in this little church in Aspen, Colorado, we cry out to you, God. And we say, we need you, Lord. We're desperate for you, God. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot live this life on our own. And we don't want to, Lord. We don't want to, God. You're too beautiful. You're too precious, Lord. Come and fill us up, God. Come and fill us up. Just lift your voices to the Lord, church. Say, come and fill me up, God. Come and fill me up. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're the king of my life. You're the king of my heart. Jesus, be enthroned on my heart. Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.